No network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. We are back. I'm back for my uh, sojourn to Dallas for the Flat Earth Convention. Uh, and I promise to all the people who, who are wringing their hands, I will not be – I'll do my absolute very best not to talk about the Flat Earth on tonight's show. People are flat earthed out, and quite frankly, so am I. So, <laughs> so we're going to go – we're going to touch something probably, possibly, nearly even as controversial. I, ex- I expect to get almost as much hate for this one as I did uh, as I did all the other stuff because uh, we're getting into the UFO thing. It's so hot right now, and, uh, you know, people know I'm pretty skeptical about a lot of this stuff, and our, our guest tonight is skeptical as well, and she's put together a fantastic new book. It's not even out yet. I was lucky enough to get a review copy. Uh, The book is They Are Already Here, UFO Culture and Why We See Saucers. It's written by Sarah Scholes. Let me give you a little bit of info about her. She's a genuine, real journalist, folks. She's a Denver-based freelance science journalist and contributor at Wired Science. She's the author of Making Contact, Jill Tarter and the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And her work has appeared in The Atlantic, The Washington Post. Come on, folks. Motherboard, Scientific American, Popular Science, and others. And previously, she was an associate editor at Astronomy and a public education officer at the National Radio Astronomy Observatory in West Bank, West Virginia. So what's really interesting here is that uh, she's really comes from the world of astronomy in a big way, and, and now she's tackled uh, what I, I noticed she calls it the same thing I do in the book, UFO World. So we're going we're gonna to explore UFO World uh, tonight on the program, and uh, I'm afraid we may ruffle some feathers, so strap yourselves in, folks. Sarah Scholes, welcome to Banal of America. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to have you on the show. Awesome, yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Now let's start out. I kind of set up that uh, that sort of paradoxical thing. Like every person I know, and I don't really – every person I see, let's put that I don't know anyone in astronomy, <laughs> but every person I see in astronomy – they they really don't generally don't want anything to do with this UFO thing. Um, so you know, like I I saw Jill Tarter on infamously on the Peter Jennings special where she did the whole story about seeing the moon. So that was a UFO, and um, so you know, uh, astronomers they don't really want much to do with this phenomenon. So how, how tell me about the road that led you to writing? They are already here. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you're right that the world of science and scientists doesn't really want to engage with um, UFOs or UFO believers. They just kind of see it as outside of their purview completely and mostly just dismiss it. Um, and I definitely started out that way. I studied astrophysics, um, worked in public education and science, and then got into writing. And I kind of thought of UFOs just like all the scientists that I was in a culture with, which was mostly something not worth paying attention to. Um, and I, I was very into the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, like looking for radio broadcasts from other civilizations, which is kind of seen as proper science, um, whereas UFOs are not. And then uh, it all really came together um, when the New York Times published their article in December uh, 2017 about the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. And I read that story, and it was the first thing that I'd come across that came from kind of like my own cultural sphere that was taking UFOs and this government UFO program seriously. And so um, that brought it to my attention and made me take it seriously. But there were some things about the, the story that I'm sure we'll get into that didn't quite ring right for me. And so then I just I started kind of looking into them because that's my job as a journalist is to try and go like verify claims myself. And then once I got in, it was hard to get out. I started meeting interesting people who had interesting things to say and interesting experiences. And then I just, uh, when you can't stop writing about something and it's longer than an article, I guess you publish a book. So here we are. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I find myself in a similar position kind of now that <laughs> I've, I've It's rough. It's like you have this. no other option. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like it's, I got so much to say. I don't know what <laughs> there's too much to leave out. Um, that's interesting. So, like, I guess how do you even? Because I know kind of like how I started, and it sort of it is like a snowball effect. So it's like, how did you even? So you read this article, and like, where did you go to find out more? I guess is the question in a sense, because it's like this this field is like the wild wild west, and it's. You know, some people you're you're discerning, you're a journalist. Some people who get mixed up in this, who are just like, uh, and this isn't like a slam, but just run of the mill folks, you know, whatever. Um, they sometimes they can get sent down the wrong path, you know, just by but just because of like whatever their first source is. Next thing you know, they're they're you know dealing with reptilians and shit, and it's like, <laughs> oh, whoa, right. how did you get there, dude? <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, so, it would have been a so different guess, like, book if I'd yeah. gone down the reptilian route first. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, so I, I didn't like, jump straight uh, to like. Yeah, oh, I, I didn't jump straight to like conspiracy theory YouTuber or anything. I mostly just I started with the claims that were in this article. I don't know if your listeners would be familiar with this article or not. Should I? I'm sure they summarize are, yeah, it at all. That, okay, yeah. okay. Sure, you might as well um, if you want. I mean, like most people kind of know. You can give it. You can give it the thumbnail. Okay. okay. That, this, I don't know. You probably haven't done too many interviews yet, so you and you'll be doing like mainstream ones, I assume. So, so we're we're really lucky uh, to get you here before. Oh, and folks, the book is on pre-order now. So go to Amazon and pre-order. It's not coming out till March. Uh, but Sarah was kind enough to do this interview tonight and send me an advanced copy. So I really, really, really appreciate that. So I guess, yeah, so you'll have to try <laughs> tell this story a lot eventually. So, yeah, tell, give us the recap, I guess you could okay. say, on the yeah, yeah, on the TTS. Yeah. I keep calling it the TTSA story, the AA tip, the AA tip story. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think part of the story is that it is the TTSA story. Right, um, right. But, no, and by the way, I'm – 
super happy to be here. Like you guys are the ones who have been doing the, the work and the investigations for years and who have the most investment in the community and stuff. So uh, happy to be on. Um, so this, this New York Times article is mostly about this Pentagon program that allegedly looked into UFO sightings and UFO data from around 2007 to around 2012 run by Bigelow Aerospace. Um, and uh, it was coming to light because of this company called To The Stars Academy that had kind of amassed people who had been affiliated with this program and then were bringing some version of the same idea to the private sector. Um, and so I, I, I guess I first started by being interested in this company, like what is To The Stars Academy? Why is a guy named Tong DeLong, who I listened to his Blink-182 music when I was a teenager, what is he doing here? Um, right. And so, I, yeah, I started looking into that. And then I think because I am a journalist, I get the special privilege of when you email the Pentagon and ask questions, sometimes they will answer them for you. So I started by just going back to them and trying to verify the claims in the article. Like, did this program exist? Is this what it studied? Where do these videos of these supposed UFOs come from? What do they actually show? And as I started to do that, some things started to, to not add up. Like the Pentagon said these videos, um, we didn't release them. Like the New York Times said they did. Um, this was a like an aerospace threat program, not necessarily a UFO program. And so I guess I guess I went one by one and tried to verify the claims that were in the article and then mostly didn't didn't succeed at, at doing that was how it all started. And then um, I guess after that, while I was trying to figure all that out, I started to become acquainted with some people who were actually in the UFO community and started to get into the UFO blog. Um, I know you guys know Jack Brewer of the UFO trail. I started reading his work, started reading oh, some yeah, work from, yeah, he's good. Um, and then Isaac Coy, um, whose real name, I don't know, and neither do you, I assume, um, who has a bunch of... No, I don't know. It's like, a, it's like ultra top secret, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's good. It's good. It's very mysterious. Um, and then I think what, what really kicked it off for me was I talked to a historian from Penn State. His name is Greg Agigian, um, and he is in the middle of writing a global history of UFOs. And he was talking to me about these cycles in history that we can see where there will be a government program, there will be someone within it who thinks that they've found evidence that maybe aliens are visiting Earth, the program shuts down, and then this person becomes a public spokesperson who's saying the government isn't paying attention to all these things that we found and then there's a public outcry and then maybe there's another program that comes after and just this great cycle that's been going on since the 1940s and I was like huh that's interesting I wonder why that is and that that was the question that really kind of sent me down the rabbit hole full on yeah absolutely what that resonates in a way because it's like I've been saying for a while now and this is no diss on either of these two guys but it's like this Lou Elizondo thing just reminds me of Nick Pope like all over again it's like, okay, this mm -hmm. government dude who was purportedly tasked with looking into UFOs and then he's out and he doesn't do it anymore and he says that they're not taking it seriously enough. Like exactly what you just said. It was like they both kind of have the mm -hmm. same story. And it's like, okay, well, 
I don't know what to make of that, but it's kind of weird. You know, it's like, all right, well, they just have they have the same story. They're just separated by, like, 25 years, you know. It's like, yeah, well, definitely. what does that tell us, you know? And UFO buffs will be like, that the government's not taking it seriously. But it's like, <laughs> you know, that's only one conclusion you can jump to. It's not, you know, let's not put the car before the horse. It's very weird. Um, definitely. Yeah, yeah I mean, it even goes back to... Oh, it even goes back to, like, Project Blue Book and J.L. and Hynek, who they say, you know, started out as a skeptic helping helping run this program and then emerged after the program was over to tell this full story of how he became an evangelist for UFOs and started to believe in them and his program was canceled. And then, yeah, I feel like we just see it over and over. And, yeah, you can see evidence that that makes what they're saying true or you can see a more human pattern in it all, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of like... The you know the subtitle is like UFO culture and why we see saucers. It's like there's definitely, I think like the people who are into UFOs. I mean, some of them want to admit it and some of them don't. But there is some sort of like, and some take it as like a diss or something, where it's like that they have some kind of like emotional need to fill or some kind of need, some kind of need to fill with this UFO thing. You know, it's like that very well may be the case. Right, yeah, and I mean, I think it's at least the, the case in some of the cases, even if not in the particular case of whoever's complaining, I think it's really hard to dismiss that there is a human element of all of this. Also, having emotional needs, we all have them. Maybe you satisfy them with UFOs, or maybe it's something else, but I think you can't totally discount that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Right, it's not like it. <laughs> yeah, it's not like a bad thing. It's just uh, right. people need more self-awareness sometimes, where it's like, do I need, like... <laughs> Do I need UFOs too much? I think that's the question like a lot <laughs> a lot of <laughs> right. people need to ask. Yeah. Um, now, I'm really fascinated in a sense, and I'm glad your book touched on this. I I don't know too many other places that have. Um the I'm talking about the videos. What I beyond the whole controversy of like where the uh leaked videos came from uh what i also find really like to me kind of blew a whole hole in the store uh, blew a whole hole yeah i guess that works <laughs> story um <laughs> is that uh one of these videos like showed up online like way 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 before all this happened so as soon as i heard that i was like all right the fix is in like something something isn't quite right here uh you know, and the fact that that didn't, that, like, barely ever gets acknowledged, to me, is like, it barely gets acknowledged because it's bad for the story. It's bad for this, for the story of these videos, because it's like, clearly something, so, someone clearly had their hands on this video way, way before all this happened, and it's like, uh, they wanted it to get out, you know, to, and so to me, it's like, all right, who did, who did that? That's the, <laughs> that's the real part that makes me wonder um i guess talk a little bit sort of just about about these videos because as you said you, you looked into them trying to figure out like where they came from and no one seems to really there's no the story just there's no like discernible story here with the with, with how we got to hold these videos yeah no yeah i started to try to figure out are these actually authentic government videos and were they cleared for release and i started with the one you're talking about that was leaked online i think it was in 2007 um for the first time on 
above top secret, I believe somebody posted it first and it was hosted on the website of a German uh, film company that uh, specialized in special effects. And no one seems to know what it was doing there, but it was found uh, way back then. And I, at the time that I discovered that, I was still working on the first story that I put out. And I, I just remember sitting at my kitchen table late at night doing research when I discovered a Facebook post that this researcher, Isaac Coy, had made saying, look, this, the video the New York Times published existed from a film company in 2007. And just I was just like muttering to myself, it's the, it's the same video. It's the same video. How is this on the front page of the New York Times when this has been here before? I think we still yes, really yes, have it's like that's, that. That's like crazy. That's the craziest part to me of the story. It's kind of like a small detail, but to me it's like I feel like that <laughs> – if we ever get any answers, I feel like the answer will somehow connect back to that. Like it's like it has, it's a very lost aspect to it, where it's like yeah. again, like kind of like I how see. you're saying. Like as soon as I heard that, it kind of blew my mind for a moment because it was like, whoa, this just took on like a, a whole other dimension of weirdness here. Right, right, and I mean beyond that, for the other two videos that we have now, which are from the same time period. And location, what's confusing to me about those, aside from, like you mentioned, setting aside the whole, like, who got them released and how, like, those are those videos were taken after the ATIP program ended. So the fact that people are saying that all of these videos were part of ATIP and part of the analysis, on top of these, uh, on top of the fact that these are from later than the program was, like, there's actually no evidence to link the videos to this program at all. Like maybe we have some release documents saying that Luis Elizondo was, was trying to get them released in some capacity, but there's nothing on that sheet that says these were part of a UFO investigation program at all. So, and I've, I, yeah, I don't see people acknowledge that either. Yeah. Yeah. The timeline, I hadn't picked up on that. So you, until I read it in your book. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm personally like, I do my best to follow this story I'm willing to bet, even though, like, I guess you could call me a UFO buff, um, you're probably more informed about all this than I am, because at some point, like, I kind of mentally checked out on this. I think, like, around, around the, actually around the time of that, of that, of that document you mentioned, um, you know, the one that was like that the, the request to release the things and like. People were parsing over it so carefully that I think my eyes glazed over, and I'm like, this doesn't have anything to do with aliens anymore or whatever is behind, mm -hmm. we think is behind the UFOs. <laughs> this is like you're arguing about bureaucratic paperwork that, like, we've gone so far beyond the the point of all this that, like, you, you know, I'm sure they hear, but you people are crazy. Like, what are you like, – why are you obsessing over this piece of paper and the – you know, I mean, I get why they do it, but to me it's like – I feel like they they can't see the forest for the trees at that point. You're you're way you're way uh, to mix metaphors. You're way in the weeds at that point. But um, yeah, it's very it's very confounding in a sense. Uh, you know because we don't really know. We just it's despite this all coming out like two years ago, we still don't really know anything about this program, and what we've been told originally doesn't seem to add up. Like the whole thing about whether or not this guy was really running the program seems murky at best right now. 
Yeah, that is definitely an interesting aspect of it. I tried from the beginning. So in the very first article I worked on, I, I went to the Pentagon. They even let me all the way inside. And I tried to get them to tell me whether he ran this program or like what his role was. And they would never from the beginning confirm for me that he was part of this program at all. And then later it came out that they they made statements that he didn't. And, you know, other people say he did and he says he does. And I don't know, it's stressful to put out a book about a, a story that's constantly shifting. And so kind of like you, I would check in and check out. And there would always be all these bureaucratic arguments because who doesn't love to argue about paperwork, like you said. But in the end, like nothing of substance had changed really. And it what was going on wasn't any clearer and anything that was clearer didn't look good for to the Stars Academy, in my opinion. So I don't know. Yeah, it's it's they're very it's it's ironic that like a group aimed at Disclosure has such poor transparency. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I mean, what, yeah, what I, I. They're so secretive. It's like, <laughs> you know, come on. You can't just jump out on stage and be like, we're going to tell you about the UFOs and then kind of like be like, oh, now hold on. And then, <laughs> and then that's it. Like, come on. Right. Yeah. If you've got the truth, tell us. We can handle it, I think. But. Yeah, they they could clear everything up really easily, which is a thing I've always said. Either side to the Stars Academy or the Defense Department could just lay out, like, here's exactly what happened. Here's the evidence we have. Here's what's going on. And then this whole thing would be over, and we would either live in a cool universe where there are UFOs cruising around, or we would know that we're caught up in some kind of scam. But uh, neither side is doing it, and I really wish they would. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's uh, it's 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 confounding, but it's par for the course with like UFO world that they tease. You know, that these things are always just around the corner, and it's like if you've been around this field for long enough, it's like you've seen all these corners a million times. Yeah, and that's kind of an interesting uh, uh, conflict that's unfolding in the world of in UFO world, where it's like. All the old timers are like, yeah, we've seen this a million times. Just, you know, let's just sit and wait and see what happens. And then there's like almost like a new generation of true believers who are like, old man, you don't know what you're talking about. This is different this time. You're get out of the way. You're part if you're not, you know, if you're not if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem and that kind of shit. It's like, dude, <laughs> Relax. Just calm down, man. Just calm down. We're all trying to get a handle on this thing. Yeah, yeah. It was very strange to watch because the older generation were the people I encountered first when I was doing research. research. So at first I thought, oh, all of these people who know what they're talking about are kind of skeptical and a little bit rolling their eyes and kind of saying, let's let's wait this out and see see how this all shakes out. But but then very quickly there were people who were on the exact other end of the spectrum and very quickly started lots of blogs and YouTube channels dedicated to basically being excited about it, which I totally get. Like it's a, it's an exciting, interesting, mysterious topic, but at the same time, sometimes we should listen to our elders, I think. Oh yeah. Wise words for sure. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And you hit the nail on the head where it's like, I've made this complaint before, but uh, – and, you know, maybe someday there will be great UFO researchers, but 
it seems like right now all I'm seeing from a lot of these people who have cropped up in the last, like, two, three, four years is, like, they're not, well, I guess since the article came out and all that, but, like, they're not, they're not necessarily UFO researchers. And actually, TTSA made that, kind of made that statement themselves. But, but the people, they're more just like TTSA researchers. They're more mm-hmm. just, they're just researching just this small facet of the phenomenon which is what we're seeing now you know and they're and they're you know they're they're blogs and youtube's like just dedicated to like the latest happenings with this story and so it's like all right you guys realize there's a whole lot of other shit out there (laughs) you know (laughs) like we don't we shouldn't put hit pause on looking at everything else because we've been told the answer's coming any minute now no, definitely. And to draw kind of a parallel with science, when I'm writing things about astronomy or the space industry or not not UFOs, my favorite people to talk to are the historians because, I mean, scientists kind of like these young UFO researchers just get hyper-focused on one really specific problem and then kind of get lost in its weeds and they forget things like the history of their own field and the things people have gotten wrong in the past and the fact that like a hundred years ago, we thought we had all the answers about, you know, what, what galaxies were, what was going on with stars. And we were mostly pretty wrong about that. Um, but for some reason in this present moment, we think we must be right about all of it, but we're probably wrong about it. And I feel like, yeah, maybe some young ufologists could, could use a lesson from the science historians too. Yeah. I mean, and like, I mean, I, you don't, obviously I don't think we share the, well, I don't know. Maybe you kind of <laughs> assess that too, but it's like, don't get me wrong. I would love it if all this if all this turns out the way they think it will, because then you know there'll be aliens or whatever or UFOs, and we, you know we won't we won't have to you know spend so much of our lives we're concerned about this topic, <laughs> and we can look at other things. So to me, it's like, yeah, I'm all I'm all for uh, finding out the answer. I don't know necessarily about being told the answer. I've always kind of uh, that was that's been my issue with the disclosure movement since the beginning, since uh, since I first got into this, like, 15 years ago, where it was like, you're like, a, you're acting like a little kid who can't figure out the answer, so you're going to stomp your feet until you get the answer, you're, you know, you're demanding the government tell you the answer, like, go and fucking figure it out yourself, you know, if you're, if, <laughs> I mean, you figure it out, they're not going to tell you the answer, dude, so, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's right. kind of my attitude about it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, also, isn't that supposed to be the fun part? At least a lot of the ufologists I talk to, like, the fun part is trying to figure it out and doing research and doing investigations, not waiting for somebody to hand you stuff. And I'm, I mean, I'm totally with you. Like, I think a lot of, a lot of people um, who might read the book or who have read articles I've written, because they are kind of critical and skeptical, would say that I, you know, dis- dislike it all or just want to debunk it. And that's not true at all. I would be totally thrilled to have aliens visiting Earth in in spaceships. Nothing would make me happier, pretty much. And, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have spent so long doing it if that weren't a cool result that I would be very happy with. Um, I'm not convinced it's true, uh, but I would like it a lot. Yeah. I kind of err on the side of caution just where it's like, I guess it's just I wishful thinking might be probably the best way to put it, where it's like, uh, I just hope that it is true because, you know, I've sunk costs and all, <laughs> and all that <laughs> stuff. And, and you know, it, it's a great, 
it's a great sort of like turn of events that could happen. So it's like I'll just keep keep hope alive on that one, I guess, you know. But to me, it's like I'm not I, – I can't be really convinced of it until like I see – I've never had an experience or anything like that. So it, to me, it's like, well, who knows what they could be, you know. Um, hmm. It's very uh, it's very interesting. But yeah, well, to take it back to kind of what I was saying in a sense, it's like I don't know what happened in the history of – ufology i'd have to take a deeper look at it but it's like yeah somewhere along the way i think there was like a generation that like they sort of reached a certain age around the turn of the century and they had spent probably like about as long as i have now like 15 years or more some people like 10 i mean like 20 30 decades maybe or 30 years um and i think at some point like there was just this, like, enough is enough, I'm fed up, and I'm tired of looking at reports and all this stuff, and I just want, I just, I give up, give, give me the answer kind of thing. So it's a very interesting sort of, like, turn of events, uh, you know, sociologically, because when I got in, this was just starting, this whole thing where it was like, we're going to organize and, and force the government to tell us the truth. And it was like, that's kind of weird that this came up, now, after so long, but I, like I said, I think people maybe just got so frustrated with looking at it that they were like finally kind of threw up their hands in a sense. Yeah, that's that's interesting. It's also interesting then that the that the the new the new people on the scene would kind of take the same attitude from the get go instead of putting in their gears and getting totally fed up and then going to it. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've now had almost twenty years of sort of that. Thing. So it's kind of like, mm-hmm. I think maybe anyone who comes in is maybe a little more conditioned to like the idea that like, oh, this is all sewn up. They are, they already figured it out. That's, that's kind of the one thing that really drives me crazy about uh, UFO world, where again, it's like somewhere along the way, they were like, we figured it out. We figured it out. It's aliens. So, okay, you can tell us now. And it's like, you didn't, <laughs> you didn't figure it out, dude. Like, unless you can show us the alien, like, you didn't figure it out. So go back to collecting cases until you, and figure out a way to figure it out. Like, like I'm not, you know, that, that to me is the thing. You, like, I mean, there are people who are like, we know there are UFOs coming here from outside of, uh, you know, outside of Earth's atmosphere or whatever, out from space. And we know that they're, you know, piloted by, it's like, we don't know anything, dude. We don't know anything about these things. Yeah, the extraterrestrial hypothesis is an extremely large leap from I saw something weird to I know I know it's coming from outer space, which is one that I mean I get that you see something and it seems way beyond what we might have, but a I think what we have is more advanced than most of us are aware of, and b that you're not just being fooled by something, and I'm not by any means saying that's all of the cases. There are some truly mysterious things out there. But to to jump to aliens or driving it without taking a picture of the aliens driving it is a really hard thing for me personally to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just frustrating yeah. for me because it's like unless you know for sure, don't say you know something unless you like can prove it. You know, it's not yeah. not that hard. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and the thing that like my other pet peeve is uh. This idea, you saw the coverage, like, actually, that was one of the coolest things about the book, because I got it, like, I got, I must have got it just after, uh, 
just after it got to the publisher or something, because it's still, there's, like, stuff that mentions stuff happening, like, in September and October, and it's like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Wow. By March, it yeah. won't be as, like, cool. When I was reading it, I'm like, holy shit, that just happened, like, three weeks ago. <laughs> that ended with this book. Yeah, that was me frantically typing things in before it went to the printer. But, uh, yeah, if if TTSA has, has anything new to add, it would be great if they could do it before December 9th when the official copies are printed so that I can include it at the very last minute. Yeah. There you go. Um, what I, I made this statement on, like, Twitter a few months ago now, and it holds true, too, I think. the This thing... I'm seeing, like, this metaphorical, like, dancing in the streets over the fact that the government said that these things were genuine UAPs, which is really just another way of saying UFOs. And it's like, oh, my God, you know, like, the whole, this whole thing has seemingly been pushing towards, like, we've got to get the government to admit UFOs are real. And it's like, dude, we, everybody knows UFOs are real it's just because it's like a – it's just a vague classification for something we can't identify in the sky. Like, like mm-hmm. – for you know, the government has always said UFOs are real. Like the what we want to know is what they are. And it's like I, when I see people getting excited about the government saying UFOs are real, it's like it kind of is like what are you, you're not even asking the right questions, dude. You're not even pushing for the right things. Right. Yeah. That was that was something I like as a newcomer to this field was surprised to hear. Like when I when I went to the Pentagon initially that they don't have a problem saying like yeah we see stuff and we don't know what it is and then you know maybe later we identify it maybe we don't but it's it's just a very broad term that means something we can't identify right away and they had no problem saying that and I like I think it was Nick West who said that that UFO in this context just means like unfortunately far off it doesn't mean it's unidentifiable necessary it just means that you can't pick it out in the moment with the instrumentation you have and maybe maybe that means it's something really mysterious or maybe it just means it's a it's a drone that you were too far away from to identify so it doesn't yeah it's not a term that really means that much in the end right right i think people attach such weight to it and they to a lot of people they immediately make the leap again to alien and it's like just because the government says UFOs are real doesn't doesn't mean anything, dude. Like we don't really, you know, that doesn't accomplish anything. Like as you said, and as I noted, it's like they've always kind of said UFOs are real. So it's not it's not <laughs> some uh, big breakthrough here. But you know, I guess I guess when I guess when you're told all the time that the government doesn't want to admit UFOs are real, it's like. When they sort of dance around it, I guess you, you it, it, people kind of got a little fooled. I think, in a sense. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think we would do well to have another term, maybe not UAP and not UFO, but something that really means um, something that's maybe technology we don't have that comes from outer space. Because yeah, UFO and UAP have just kind of lost. They've lost their original meaning, which just means something unidentified, and they've taken on the extraterrestrial meaning, but you don't know which one someone is referring to, and I don't know. I like language. We could use a new term. Maybe maybe you should come up with one. (laughs) Well, we've had that conversation on this show before, actually, in the past. Yeah, I'm I'm big on language, too, and it's like, yeah, that's – everybody wants to kill UFO, but it's like – I just don't think UAP is the thing. 
I just don't think it can, you know, it's too much, it's too similar. It's already got, it's already got kind of a little bit of baggage already just from being used by hardcore UFO buffs for years. So it's like, uh, I don't think we can seamlessly transition into UAP. So it's, in my opinion, it has to be something, you know, that's maybe not an acronym. That's probably my best advice. Like, we went from flying saucer to UFO, and we got to go. I don't necessarily think we should reclaim flying saucer, but, like, we need something that's just maybe like a two-word thing, you know, that'll that'll kind of cover what we're really talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. Because, uh, you know, yeah, UFO at this point to people in the public generally means, you know, aliens. So Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate. Because then you have to get into this whole thing and try and explain, you know. You always have to, like – if you say something about UFOs or if you say something about aliens, it's like you have to preface it with like trying to explain the the nuances of the term and everything. So it's a it's a mm-hmm. it's a verbal mess. Now let me see okay. what else. Uh, now you one of the more interesting areas you looked into, uh, which is another area, a troublesome area. We can kind of circle back to the TTSA stuff uh, as we go along, but uh, the MUFON stuff was really interesting to me because. I've had little interaction with the people of MUFON, um, but, like, I guess what stood out to me is you talked to the director of the Colorado MUFON, and uh, it just, the, the again, language in a sense, the, the way he described it was, like, unsettling to me, because he was like, we, we, we must close, we have to close so many cases within a month, we have to do this many things, you know, in the year. Um, if it happens at this point, you must call at this time. And it just seemed very, like, um, you know, authoritarian in a sense, you know, in a, like almost, a, again, in an unnerving sort of way. And I talked to some people. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but I, talk, I didn't know it till I talked to them. I talked to some people in MUFON who were uh, directors of this thing, state directors. I'm not going to name names, folks. Sorry, but <laughs> I don't want to get you in trouble. But they, the annual symposium was like a few weeks away. And they told me that they not only have to go to the symposium, they're required to go. Required. That's the word that really kind of stuck in my craw. Um, it, with the story from the guy who ran the Colorado Move On, they're required to do this many stuff. And this story that I heard, that they were required to go to the symposium, and this is the part that I was like, what the fuck? Uh, They're required to pay their own way and buy a ticket to to the symposium. So if you're like the director of South Dakota MUFON, you have to go to the symposium and you have to buy a ticket. Like, Like, I'm sorry, folks, but like when I heard that story, I'm like, is this a UFO research organization, or is this a – what's going on over there? Sorry, yeah, I'm getting arrested right now. No. Oh, Jesus. It's, a, it's an amb- <laughs> It's like it's Radio Mysterios, and my friend has a show. That's obvious how But, you know, to me, it's like, is this a scientific organization, or is this like a cult? Because when I hear that kind of thing, you know, kind of alarm bells go off where it's like, okay, you're you're required – to buy like the hundred and fifty, two hundred dollar ticket or whatever to go to this event, even though you're like one of the major contributors to the organization. 
Like, this makes absolutely no sense. So I don't know if you knew that. No, I actually wasn't aware of that. That's that's good information to have. And I think so. the the guy I spent the most time with, the Colorado State director, um, who's a super nice guy, I liked him a lot, he he did talk about how he spent, I think, 30 years just kind of doing his own investigations before he joined MUFON, and that while he respected kind of the rules and regulations that MUFON had, or requirements, I guess is a better word, like he was he was most, um, he least liked that they had to investigate every case, even if there was absolutely no merit to it or basically no information. And he said, he, you know, when he was on his own, he would only be spending his time on stuff that he thought was worthwhile. And now he had to spend his time on everything. And when I first talked to him, actually, I for the book, I was going to try to become certified as a MUFON investigator to see what it was like and go out on some cases. And he kind of told me I shouldn't do that unless I wanted to keep being an investigator for a long time, not because of like loyalty to MUFON, but because it costs a lot of money with your membership and then you pay a lot of money to get a uh, like a field investigator manual. Yeah. Um, and he's like, it's just not, and yeah, every, every step of the way costs money. Kind of like, like you said, like Scientology, like, um, maybe right, exactly. you yeah, kind of just yeah. have to have to keep, keep paying and play by the rules. And at, to be totally clear, everybody I met, um, at Colorado MUFON, um, was great. And I think a lot of, like a lot of organizations, it's the, the top that this, this kind of stuff comes from, not the people who are just participating yeah the rank and the rank and file people like they're a part of it because they you know they have nowhere else to go like they want like kind of like uh what the guy was saying in a sense uh you know if you want to join up with a group of people to look into this you're pretty you really don't have like, any options other than other than move on and i just want to mention that uh, or stress i guess that uh that story was just a story i was told by some state directors so i can't you know, in case uh, Move On or someone who's with Move On is like, that's not true at all. Well, for the people I talked to, it was. So, you know, <laughs> maybe maybe they're getting the short end of the stick somehow. I don't know. You know, there's always inner politics and stuff, but that's what I was told. And I, my jaw just about hit the floor, and I <laughs> I asked multiple times, are you serious? Are, are you fucking serious? Like, oh, my God, I can't believe that. So, you know, but that that's all I really know about uh about that story, so I haven't looked, I, you know, I didn't pull all the other <laughs> people, yeah. but, yeah, yeah, I couldn't believe it, because it's like, what the hell, like, why do you even, like, at that point, I'd be like, I'm out, I'm not, I'm not doing that, so, but I guess when you, like I said, you have no other place to go, it's difficult, I thought it was kind of heartbreaking, in a sense, too, the guy says, you know, that he, he, he because he was required to do all that stuff, uh, like he did all the all the all the shitty cases, because uh, he didn't want the other people to have to do have to do them. I thought that was kind of like wow, that's a that's like a like I said, kind of a heartbreaking part of the story in a sense. Yeah, yeah, no, he seemed to really care about his field investigators a lot, and only only wanted them to want to stay with MUFON and to be happy with what they were doing, and so he was making personal sacrifices to make that happen, which. I don't know if I'm a good enough person to do that, but luckily I'm not a MUFON state director, so I don't have to find out. 
what I liked about the book too is that <coughs> it it sort of functions in a lot of ways as sort of like our first person story of like your your journey into all this, um, which I liked a lot. It was it was really personalized, and what I, interesting was to me was the trips. You took kind of a lot of road trips in there, which I thought was pretty neat. Um, I guess tell let me think about what which what, what tell me about some of the places you went to. Like what I know, uh, or tell the folks. I know, I know, <laughs> I know what you did. So uh, yeah, sure. I like road trips anyway, and so um, and, you know, I live out west, and lots of UFO stories are out west, and so it was kind of a, a fun way for me to try to experience stuff firsthand so um let's see there's a place in colorado um about three hours from denver where i am called the ufo watchtower which is just kind of a small tourist attraction in this very strange part of colorado where there's giant mountains on either side of this big valley and then some very strange sand dunes that are almost a thousand feet high and just look very strange and then the ufo watchtower is right on the other side of them and it's this big huge wide valley and so you can see kind of forever and so people see lots of ufos and so at some point it became like the number one ufo hotspot per capita in the u.s which is partly because there's not a lot of capitas like there's not a lot of people who live there Ah, um but it's just (laughs) yeah (laughs) but it's uh is a lady named Judy Messaline, and and she started this place for people to come look for UFOs in the desert together um, because she heard that it had got that the valley had gotten this hotspot uh, reputation, and she couldn't make her ranch payments. Like she was having trouble with her mortgage, and she thought, "What if I started a tourist attraction? I don't really think there's anything to this UFO stuff, but." Um, maybe I could make some money off of it. And then, uh, you know, it's uh, almost 20 years later, and I think she says she's a believer now. Um, And it's going strong, and people just go out there and camp and mostly don't see UFOs, but um, sometimes they do, and they have a sightings book that you can go check out. That was a fun one. Um, Well, let me stop because I I, want to jump. I want to – I kind of – I – I had lost sort of my train of thought in the midst of that question, so now I remember where I was going on with the with cool. kind of the road trip because you took a trip. Uh, I really envy you on this one. You took a trip to Skinwalker Ranch or like the out, I don't know, the outpost of Skinwalker Ranch, um, and that's kind of like really hot with people. Um, and you know, it's the subject of considerable speculation, uh, and I don't know too many people that have actually even gotten as close as you have. You know, I'm willing to say, like, yeah, I'd say probably, you know, with the exception of, like, I think I had Colm Kelleher and George Knapp on the show, so, you know, they've been there. But um, aside from those guys, even, like, some of the most esteemed researchers I know, like, haven't actually gone and done what you did, which is apparently there's a website where you can look up and it shows where you can kind of go as close as you can. It's kind of like the Area 51 thing, but for the hardest of the hardcores or something like that. As far as they haven't, <laughs> maybe that'll be next year's thing, Storm Skinwalker Ranch. Um, so tell me about, about that experience, because to me, like this, it's funny in a way, because people I really have a lot of respect for hold this Skinwalker story in such high regard. But to me, it, uh, you know, and I said it and I got some heat for it, 
Uh, But I'll kind of stand by it in a sense where it's really no more than a fairy tale. Like, we don't know anything. It's it's not, ironically, because the the seeds are all kind of, it's all kind of part of the same octopus, it seems. Um, But, you know, it's a lot like this TTSA thing where it's a lot of rumor and innuendo and sort of like hints and and teases and stuff like that. Um, So to me, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical of the Skinwalker story simply because it's so you know, tenuous or something. I don't know the best word, vague or, you know, just, just uh, like a hall of mirrors or something like that. So it was a very long-winded setup for for sort of like the question of, you know, tell me about your trip to Skinwalker Ranch or the outskirts of Skinwalker Ranch and, and talk a little bit about sort of what you came away from, not the trip necessarily, but your research into that story. Yeah, so I went out there, I think it was either late January or early February 2018, um, and I had been doing a bunch of research into Robert Bigelow and his longtime funding of all of these paranormal-type projects, and I I don't know, when I'm writing about something, I like to try to, you know, get close to it and experience it, and so I was reading about his buying this ranch that supposedly had all these happenings, animal mutilations, UFOs strange creatures, stuff like that. And I was like, you know, that's, I haven't seen anything that convinces me so far, but there's really no substitute for going out and experiencing something yourself. And I had a free weekend. So I was like, let's take a road trip, Um, go out there. So I, I went, yeah, I went to, I think it's skinwalkerranch.org if anyone's looking for tons of information. Um, And it just has a, a list of places where you can get as close to the property line as possible without, crossing over um and so i went with my um my younger sister whose name is rebecca got dragged along on a lot of these trips because you can tell your younger sister what to do even even when you're adult so uh we drove up to the official like security gate which even though robert bigelow doesn't own skinwalker ranch anymore um still has like a big camera and no trespassing signs and uh i actually can't remember if there's a gate gate or not but um, you can't get in, but anyway, we'd, we'd been driving all day. I had gotten the audio book, Hunt for the Skinwalker, and I had been listening to, um, you know, the, the accounts from the people who worked at the National Institute for Discovery Science of what they had seen there um, and how they had tried to capture it on cameras and sensors and things, but it it always just seemed to be, it always seemed to evade them. They could never get the data. And so as I was listening to all this, I mean, I totally agree with you that it's just um, stories people tell, even though the whole point of it was to try to capture it and measure it and quantify it in some way. And prove it. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I, I mean, I personally don't think there's anything going on there. Um, I would be very open to evidence to the contrary, but they did not provide me with any evidence. But anyway, so what what we did was just kind of set up shop at this little gravel pull-off that looks right into Skinwalker Ranch, and we were just listening to Hunt for the Skinwalker and kind of waiting for something to happen, um, which it didn't, which isn't very fair because it wasn't very much time. But um, I don't know. I kind of expected it to be like a little spooky or strange or for somebody to come try and scare me off you know the book and the stories just kind of give it this ominous aura but it was really no different from hanging out on the side of a highway anywhere else 
So that was mostly our trip. And then we went, went to a dive bar in town and some people got in a fight, which was probably the most interesting thing that happened on the trip. That's interesting. So you didn't, so there was no, uh, that's, I was going to like betray my true believer, like bona fides, where it's like, you didn't, so you didn't, ex- not necessarily experience anything, but it was like, you didn't feel kind of like, it didn't, it didn't even feel like particularly paranormally hallowed or anything. No, no, I didn't get any, any vibes. I'm not, I'm not sure what I think about believing in vibes, but if, if they're out there, I didn't get any of them. So. All right. Uh, well, talk a little bit about your research into Bob Bigelow because he's he's a character that like I find he's just so mysterious to me, um, you know, and 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 uh, maddening in a sense, you know. Uh, to me, it's like he's by his word, he's invested like millions of dollars in this thing, and it's like going back like thirty years. So to me, it's like. I find it frustrating that uh, I find it frustrating that like, and I'm sure. I mean, I I remember when I did criticize Skinwalker Ranch. Someone said like Nids put out a bunch of papers or something on it, but it's like clearly nothing that resonated uh, beyond UFO circles or whatever. Like, you know. So uh, it, I don't know necessarily if that if that means anything, but so to me, it's like he may have. As far as I can tell, he, like nothing has come from this this massive amount of research that he's funded into the phenomenon. As far as I can tell, because he's still trying to figure it out. You know, at least nothing public has come out from it. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't succeed in finding really um, reports or papers. But I mean, the earliest mention I found of him funding this stuff was something from kind of the mid '90s that said he'd been doing it for since since the early 90s at least so yeah around 30 years seems right and I know that other people like Isaac Coy who I was mentioning earlier have compiled huge lists of all the people that Bob Bigelow has funded in some capacity for everything from I mean I think he's done crop circle studies consciousness studies UFO studies um, abduction studies and yeah uh, he I, I feel like what's interesting about him is his big promise is always like I want to do this well I want to do this systematically with instruments and scientific methods so that we can finally you know put put some rigor behind this but then whatever the results are and whatever the data is nobody else gets to see them which yeah I wish I wish it weren't true I feel like I mean scientists aren't good about this either traditional scientists about publishing their results when they get the answer they don't want or they get a totally null result. But theoretically, that's what you're supposed to do is publish publish all your data and all your interpretation, even if it proves you wrong. So I wish that he had done that because it's kind of just like throwing millions of dollars into a a hole or I guess into Bob Bigelow's brain because he, he knows all the things they found. But Right. That's um, the maddening part. Yeah. 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 It's like one of those things where it's like, oh, if I ever won the lottery, I would do like exactly what he's, <laughs> you know. So to me, it's like it's frustrating because you see someone doing what you, you know, w- what you would like to see done. But it's like we never find out. <laughs> we never find out what what they find. It's uh, it's like so frustrating. Yeah, and it's interesting because, I mean, he so he was a very successful businessman, went off and made his money in 
the corporate world and in the technology, the science and technology world, and then got into all this stuff. And it, he made it, he, he said at one point, I think that he made his money partially so that he could do things like fund all this stuff. And I just have to think if I had something I cared enough about to give millions of dollars to, which I won't because I'm a journalist, but um, if I did have millions of dollars, I was going to give them to something. I would want people to know what it was and what I found out, even if it was what I didn't expect. So it's, it's kind of, it's, it's confusing. The motivation. Yeah, confusing is the word. Confusing is definitely the word for it because it's like it leads you, you know, leads you to wonder like, uh, you know, did, did, like you're saying, did you did he find nothing or like did he find something so fantastic that? Because there's a part of me, like I said, I wishful, I have a wishful thinker side to myself, so it's like, you know, I won't necessarily discount. <laughs> Like maybe he found something so fantastic that he's like that it's like the ring from uh, Lord of the Rings or something where he's like I'm not telling anyone about <laughs> about this. This is you know I saw God and I'm <laughs> you know and I'm not telling anyone because it changed my fucking life. You know who knows? But to me it's like he's just one dude who's put a ton of money into this and you know it doesn't make any. There's something confounding about it in a way. You know. Yeah, it's also and, confounding to me why people keep agreeing to it. Like, if I was a researcher and I, you know, got $100,000 to go do some experiment and I did it and I came back with data and then that just stayed in Robert Bigelow's closet, like, I'd be pissed, you know? That was my work. So I don't know why people keep agreeing to it. Yeah, it, it is interesting in a sense. I assume that, like, in order to get the money, they do have to, like, sign all kinds of stuff that they won't turn around and tell everybody what they found. So maybe that's – I assume that's, like, why they don't because, you know, trying to keep a UFO buff, trying to get them to keep a secret is, like, pretty <laughs> – you know, pretty hard, especially if it's something that's, like, uh, confirms anything remotely that uh, people want to hear. So – it is interesting. I think a big part of it, though, too, is uh, I don't know, like, how if you encountered this much in the field, but uh, one of the big sort of like gripes by people in this in this field, and I think that's partially why this TTSA thing has gotten a lot of people excited too. Is like there's no money in it. Like uh, most of these people, you know, they're losing money on their UFO hobby, if you will. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even the MUFON people we were talking about earlier who are just giving hundreds of dollars to go to conferences and they're volunteering their time. Um, Actually, I'm not sure the state, I can't remember if the state directors are volunteering, but the people who work for doing MUFON investigations are volunteering their time and most people are doing it as a hobby. And so, yeah, definitely no one's making money. Right, right. So when some dude comes along, as mysterious he as he uh, mysterious as he is, if he's like, I'll cut you a check for a hundred grand to, you know, <laughs> you're like take a sabbatical from your job at the post office and and really <laughs> really get after those crop circles. It's like yeah. I can, you know, but you just gotta sign this shit here. It's like I can exactly kind of see exactly how that would play out, you know. That's true. Fair enough. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> um. It's too bad. I mean, I, it it would be nice if there was a way for people. Uh, well, in a sense, that kind of that's an interesting point that I I did notice 
in your book, or did not notice in your book, really, you didn't, thankfully, sort of like didn't get into sort of just the history of like, or too much of like the charlatanry of this all. You know, just sort of like this is, this, the field is rife with like snake oil salesmen and people making a lot of like uh, crazy claims and stuff like that in order to, you know, uh, separate people from their money essentially. Yeah, yeah. I thought about going that route, but then I decided that what I personally found most interesting were the people who I, whose whose research and investigations I could um, like respect and I identify with. And so I I mention a few charlatans here and there, but right, right. I don't know. Their motivations are pretty clear to me. Like they want to make money and be a little famous, and that's that's not so complicated um but people yeah. who aren't aren't making money and are you know putting all their hard-earned free time into this that's the, those are more interesting motivations to me yeah absolutely yeah we gotta spread this stuff around let's put it on the internet you're listening to banal of america audio great heavens what kind of radio show is this and it's uh, it's funny, you, yeah. You said that uh, I, we call them on this show UFO famous people that want to be UFO famous. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. It's like I've said often on the show. It's like why you're not even you don't even get to be the good kind of famous. You just you're UFO famous. It's like everybody knows who the Iron Sheik is, but no one fucking respects him. It's like you know, as a professional wrestler, I, I don't know. <laughs> that might be before your time. I, I don't know. I don't but, know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. All right, I don't I know. It. Everyone, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> he's like a comical, he's a comical wrestler from the '80s. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like why do you want to be UFO? But they, I find that there's like a a problem of like validation that sort of also like is a is a crutch or a hindrance to this a lot of this, where it's like people. Like I said, they want to become UFO famous. They want, you know, to to be to be a standout in the world of UFOs. And and, so, and that sometimes that even goes beyond figuring it out. It's like you said, you kind of you can understand their motivations. The charlatans trying to make money. There's also people that they won't even make any money, but if they can if they can get on a panel at the Mobile UFO Symposium, um, you know, that'll that that's then they've made it. You know, it's very like, it's very perplexing in a sense. It is. Yeah, it reminds me of something one of my first writing teachers told me about how, you know, if if people got a little bit famous within like the writing community, they would think they were very famous to the whole world. And she would try to take their egos down by telling them you're not, you're not famous at all until you're as famous as the world's most famous weatherman. Um, Al Roker and until then you should probably just like keep your ego in check um, which is a good reality check that we should probably all do sometimes yeah absolutely yeah for sure yeah well you remember that Sarah because you're going to be all over the place with this book when it comes out uh, in March so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. what so I liked about the book repeating. Yeah. <laughs> what I liked about the book uh, is it was definitely written it wasn't necessarily written for me. I'll put it that way, and that's a compliment because, like, this is a book that you can give to someone who's trying to understand what this is all about, like uh, a sober view of the UFO thing, where you're not you're not like emotionally invested in whether or not these things are aliens or not. So I, I like that a lot about the book. 
Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I I had to decide, I think. I So, I mean, I had to write it in, like, a fairly quick amount of time. And, you know, people like you and others have been doing research into the field for years and years. And I was, like, in a year and a half or two years, there's no way I can do, like, a deep dive and learn something that all these people haven't learned. And so, yeah, I feel like it is more of a an overview for somebody who's maybe – less familiar and wants to come at it from like a slightly different angle than people have. But yeah, I, as much as I wanted to do the 30 the year long book, deep dive into it all, I, the, the book industry does not permit it. Well, it's a good, what I like about it is it's a good sort of answer to the hysteria that's erupted in the last like two years. I guess we're going on, we're going to start our third year, right? In a month or so uh, of this, of this sort of uh, a tip TTSA era of ufology it's a little bit like a like a response to that hysteria which i like a lot and it's sort of like all right everybody pop the brakes pump the brakes let's uh <laughs> let's sort of take assessment of where we're really at here i mean what is you're you're like a you're you're a mainstream journalist you're a science journalist like what uh like what's your reaction been to how this thing has sort of become so hot right now like in the media like every little thing these people do you know winds up being getting a ton of press you know it's uh more press than we've seen the ufo phenomenon get in a generation at least yeah it's it's crazy when this when the first stories came out i i definitely never imagined that that stories would have kept coming out for yeah two years now almost two full years um i didn't think it would have legs that long um, I thought it would kind of die down so it's been it's been very interesting to watch and I think um, I mean media has always responded to things that are kind of sensational and that they know that will get people reading and I think UFOs are, are one of those things so when there's somebody yeah. like to the Stars Academy kind of pushing out stories and developments and George Knapp is getting leaked documents and there's like some kind of new thing to cover. Like the people who write the news know that people will read that um, because it's interesting and because it's sensational. And even though it's existed since the dawn of newspapers, now we call it clickbait. And so, um, yeah, yeah. but the, I mean, I think, yeah, I think the reason people are latching onto it is because now it has this, it has an, an air of credibility because this is stuff coming from, the Defense Department and Navy pilots are going on the record and the Navy is changing how to report UFOs and, and it all seems very official. And for just like people, you know, I talk to people in my life who don't follow UFOs at all just to see what what regular people actually know. Right. And, you know, when you're I coming do that to a lot totally too, fresh, yeah. yeah, it's a good like gut check. And people don't have the background to be able to evaluate like what's true and what's false and like what came before like they're not like you and me where they have this whole backstory of TTSA and ATIP going back two years they're just like oh look the the Navy said those are UAP um, and so I think I think people are genuinely interested and they don't um, yeah have the background to have necessarily the the doubt that maybe they should about where this is all coming from. And now I'm actually forgetting what the original question was that I was supposed to be answering. Did I answer it? I don't remember, but that's, that's how we do the show. So don't worry. Okay. <laughs> don't worry about it. But I just, just the media, yeah. yeah, the media coverage of this. It's been, yeah, it's been 
Yeah, remarkable. You kind of hit the nail on the head and sort of covered, in a sense, what I was thinking, where it's just like every – it's it's a still unfolding story, it seems, if that makes any sense. It's like we're, we're, mm-hmm. we haven't really seen – you know – We've only seen the beginning of this story, or something like that, or maybe even the middle. Maybe we're at the middle. We don't. We won't know, I guess, till till we can look back and kind of have the perspective on what's happening. I mean, I remember last year, uh, you know, I was like, yeah, 2017, no, 2018. I was kind of like, it was kind of still making news and everything, and I was like, all right, whatever, you know, talk to me when Trump, when this gets to Trump, like talk to me when this. <laughs> When that when that happens, that you know, because otherwise nobody cares about anything unless it somehow involves that fucking guy. So uh, then, then lo and behold, uh, you know, they asked him. He got asked about it twice this summer, and he like completely dismissed it. So to me, it's like it, that kind of even confounded me even more. Where it's like, all right, now I don't. I almost think like the thing got too big, too fast, or something for whoever is behind all this. If, 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 yeah. You know, because I look at it almost in a conspiratorial way, where it's like something's happening here, and it's not about fucking aliens. You know, I don't know, I don't know <laughs> what it is about, but it's not about, you know, it's not about what. Ironically enough, I don't think it's about what the people who are really excited about it think it is about. Like, I don't think it's about aliens coming here. I think it personally, if I have a gun to my head, I'd say I feel like this is some kind of like gamesmanship between us and the other countries of the world where we're being like, hey, look what we have and look what we can do. Like, that's kind of my pet theory for what's really happening here. Um, But to me, I think it almost got out over its skis, the story, because it did get all the way to the president, and it's like the president just shot it down and, you know, (laughs) kind of let the air out of it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting to watch. And the idea about gamesmanship is interesting also. I um I can't I can't prove that. I mean probably no one can. But as outside context, I mean I have in my non UFO work reported on some um other defense programs or like satellite surveillance programs or things like that. And sometimes multiple times when I've asked people like why are you talking to me about this program? Why are you even letting this story come out? It seems like something you would want to keep a secret. And they will say, like, we want other countries to know that this is something we have so that they won't try to mess with us because, yeah, we want them to have some idea of what exactly they'd be messing with. And so that's an interesting really? idea about ATIP. Yeah, yeah. Wow. See, yeah, yeah, that's, at least yeah, that's kind of my that pet theory me. at the moment. Yeah, and it's like sounds so conspiratorial, but it's like the most believable <laughs> conspiracy in a sense. Where it's like, yeah, that you know, it makes the most sense. Where it's like, hey, look at we have these things that can do this, or we can make your jet see things that look like that, or whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's really interesting. Like I said, uh, I think the thing got so popular that it got too that like they had to ask Trump, and then it was like he just kind of was like danced around it. So we'll see. It'll be interesting to see where this all goes. That's kind of like I enjoy watching it unfold in a sense, but, uh, you know, I'm not like a big believer in the idea. I just personally, like, I don't think they're ever really going to like, even if aliens are real and shit, they're not going to like tell us. I just feel like the logistics of of such a thing, to me, 
that's like I think where it always trips me up in a sense. Where it's like I'd like this to be true, but I, I just can't see how they can transition us into into a world <laughs> where like aliens exist and you know they're coming here or something like that. You know, like pe- I just feel like it's too it's just too much of a leap to uh, unleash on people. You know. Yeah, and I I mean I think probably if they did there would be whole new conspiracy theories about how that was a lie and these aliens were not oh, yeah, aliens absolutely. but were some kind of government cre- I don't know. Yeah, it would just spin off in a totally different direction, I think. Right, right. Yeah. Well, the yeah, they would people would go from UFO researchers to UFO truthers and they'd say, you mm-hmm. know, this isn't the truth about the real the, you know, what about <laughs> what about the abductions or what about uh you know, all this, all the uh, cattle mutilations or something like that. It's very, you know, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't necessarily believe anything. It's always interesting to me, too. I laugh about it where it's like setting aside the possibility that such conspiracies would erupt, which is almost a guarantee that they would. But the, the I guess this is kind of the case, I guess, in other fields too, like cancer researchers, right? I, I never thought I'd liken UFO researchers to cancer researchers, but in a sense, they're both like they're both like striving towards their own obsolescence. Like they both want to find an answer to the so that their so that their whole purpose <laughs> of being will no longer exist. It's a really like interesting uh, I don't know, interesting sort of mindset in a way. Yeah, that is. That's a good point. And it, it reminds me of something I, I wrote just an article the other day about there's there's a new program at uh, Penn State University for the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, like looking for the radio broadcast from alien civilizations. And um, I talked to the guy who's leading it about about that like what what if you guys find something and then you created this whole like graduate study program around this field that doesn't need to exist anymore and he made the point that um the s in study instead of being the search for extraterrestrial intelligence would be the study of extraterrestrial intelligence so maybe well there you go ufology could survive and you could just study warp drives or something Well, that's the that's the funny part too, in a sense. The, but that's that's where we part. You and I don't part company, but I guess that's where the the UFO world parts company with like the cancer researchers or whatever or the SETI folks, where it's like if if a if like a world renowned doctor found the cure for cancer, people would still want to like study this and understand what it is. Um, mm-hmm. But they'd be like the they'd be like the cream of the crop. In a sense, you know, and, and like I always joke, like if if, the, if if we if it turned out all this was on the level, and uh, you know, and UFOs were real and they were aliens, uh, and we all found out, like uh, the last thing, you know, the last person anyone's gonna want to fucking talk to is a UFO buff, even though they were right. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, they're gonna get Neil deGrasse Tyson on, even though. <laughs> Even though he's he's shit all over the idea, you know, from the very beginning. That's the that's the funny part of of how it all you know it all works. It's like they're not no one's the U, the ufologists will definitely be left out in the cold uh, <laughs> right. if, if this turns out right. to be true. Yeah, yeah. As soon as it becomes totally mainstream, they're going to turn to the mainstream experts for sure. You're right. I hadn't thought of that. 
Yeah. So it's so they're you know again they're like doubly fighting towards their own obsolescence to tie back to <laughs> move on. I I I knew a guy who ran the move the move on thing, and I was like interviewing people uh, at an event about what would you do in this scenario we're talking about, and the two like big time ufologists, uh, Stan Friedman, God rest his soul, and uh, and Rich Dolan, they were like kind of what we talked about, you know. Well, I'd still you know study this and try and understand it and everything, and the move on guy was just like, I guess go fishing more. <laughs> That was his answer. I, mean, I guess just do more fishing. I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> like, job, I guess, yeah. Job well done, brother. So, yeah. <laughs> it, it's interesting. Did you yeah. now? One thing I loved in the book because uh, it's so fresh was um, this observatory story. I was like, all I don't know if you know, I write for Coast to Coast. Uh, I was all over this observatory story. Um, when it happened, because it was such a weird, just such a weird story. There was something really weird about it. Even the salute, even the resolution to the story, the, you know, quote unquote, what we think, what they say is the resolution to the story. Even that was like fucking weird. <laughs> like that was, you know, like I did not expect when I first heard when this all began and they shut down the observatory. It was like I did not think it would end in like some kind of just you know human trafficking child porn story. It was like, that was the last thing on my list. So I guess talk about this story, uh, you know, and I think you went down there, like, when they asked some of this was going on, right? I did, yeah, yeah. So it was September 2018, and uh, I saw this news story that this solar observatory called Sunspot Observatory had been shut down. Everybody had been evacuated from town, and the FBI was coming in and nobody knew what was going on, not even, like, the local sheriff. And that, it wasn't, it's not super close to me, but it's, like, an eight- or nine-hour drive, and I was like, I could, I could do that. I know my way around an observatory. I could probably go see what's going on there. So, I, yeah, I just went down there and uh, got there kind of in the middle of the night, was camping, and was <laughs> talk to people in town and try to figure out why this whole town was evacuated. And I mean, it was, it was a small town. There were only 10 or 12 people living there at the time and they all worked at the observatory, but I got there. It was just totally abandoned. There were, there was no FBI. There were no police. I walked right onto it. Nobody stopped me. Um, there were no signs saying don't do it. And it was just so bizarre. Um, and I talked to, people in town and, you know, people at the gas station at the Forest Service, everybody had their own theories about what was going on. Um, nobody knew. The observatory stayed closed for around two weeks, I think. And then um, eventually they said, yeah, the FBI was investigating child porn distribution from a computer at the observatory and we evacuated it because the person we were investigating was making threats and, and we were afraid, which is a strange story. Like I'm not a particularly conspiratorial person, although I do love to read about a good conspiracy theory, but I was like that, like this doesn't add up. This doesn't make sense to me. Um, And it got me thinking about, you know, I I used to work at this observatory in West Virginia. I've been around a lot of observatories when I was studying astronomy. And there are all these conspiracy theories that pop up um, among them about what's going on and I just started to think about why why are these places such fertile ground for for ideas about the government 
hiding stuff. And then as I started to look into it more, um, you know, people have good reason for suspecting weird stuff going on at observatories because lots of them have their origins in military funding or some kind of spying or tra tracking satellites or uh, secret rocket launches or things like that. And so the astronomy complex is kind of all wound up in the military industrial complex, which is actually, that I think that's Neil deGrasse Tyson's latest book is all about that, the overlap between astrophysics and defense and spying and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't figure it out. I didn't figure out what really happened at the observatory, um, but I still have lots of questions about it. The official story still doesn't ring right for me, and they still haven't arrested the guy who they said was distributing. Oh, they never even arrested him. No, no. The FBI um, told the local paper just a few months ago that the case was closed, and they never arrested him. They never arrested anyone, as far as we know. So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's it's really weird. bizarre. Yeah, that's yeah, one of those ones. Yeah, that nobody. Set. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, and nobody follows up on it. Yeah, that's wild. Wow, yeah. I didn't know that. Now I got a. Did you know that there's a another conspiracy theory attached to that observatory? Um, which conspiracy theory? Involving the guy who found, who was the director in the town. No, you don't know the story. Uh, I, no. I, 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 no, I, I think I know that this one. one. <laughs> I found this when I was putting when I was writing about it for Coast to Coast. John Evans, uh, he was the director of the observatory, and the, the town sprung up like around the observatory. So they had a vote for what the town would be called, and his preferred choice was Sunspot. And according to the uh, according to his New York Times obituary, one of the people that worked there said that we always thought the election was rigged. So he, huh. they, they think that he rigged the election to name the town Sunspot because that was his favorite, uh, that was his preferred name. So I thought, <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. I like that. I like that. Yeah, I mean, conspiracies everywhere, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was clever because it was like, wait a minute. I thought it was funny anyway because I'm like, where did this name come from? Then as I'm already dug into it, I'm like, you got to be shitting me. <laughs> and the, the, that was his, that was his work. We we always we always thought the election was rigged. I was like, wow, that's wild. Um, now you, oh, okay, well, yeah, I, I want to talk a little bit about Area 51. Um, uh, I was going to first ask about Storm Area 51, uh, which isn't in the book. I'll ask you about that in a moment. But one thing that was in the book that like just freaked me out just reading it. And I think it was the director of the Colorado MUFON. He like you said you were going to Area 51. He told you these these crazy stories about all kinds of like terrible stuff that happened to him. Um, and and you can you can elaborate on that you know here. But like talk a little bit about your trip to Area 51 and why it was <laughs> you know why it was like particularly harrowing because you were sort of front loaded with all these warnings and shit. <laughs> Yeah, so was, I uh, I met with the director of Colorado MUFON early in October of 2018, and I was going at the end of October 2018 to Area 51, and I just kind of casually mentioned that I was going there, and he, it turns out, he says he used to go research there a lot, just take lots of trips out to the desert, and uh, yeah, he told me these horror stories about getting his tires shot out, and 
getting, um, you know, being pulled out of a car by uh, either a policeman or a security guard, I can't remember, um, and just kind of being terrorized by the guards. And he told me, like, don't bring a rental car, it'll get ruined, but also maybe don't bring your own car because it'll also get ruined and people will steal it. And if you, you know, hire someone to take you out and show you around on a tour, like they're, they might just strand you in the desert and then demand lots of cash to take you back to town. Um, and at the time, I mean, I, I don't think that he was being dishonest. Um, and he pointed out to me that the security that's there now was different from who would have been there when he was doing things. But I just had a hard time believing that like, I mean, it's a place, people go people are there every day and if I had to believe that if there were stories this bad that you know we would see more of them on the news um yeah but so anyway I go and you know I hike a lot so it's kind of like if my guide strands me in the desert that's fine I'll just walk back to town um I'm not going to give him a thousand dollars yeah yeah (laughs) yeah uh yeah so I went out there um and uh, I don't know how many of your listeners have maybe been out there also, but as soon as we got into the valley or even before the valley, we started to see what I now know was a flare exercise where we would see these things hovering that absolutely looked like flying saucers. It was crazy. I was like, I can't believe I came here for this book and now I'm seeing this thing that looks exactly like a flying saucer. Um, and then just all night long, the first night camping, we saw more of that. We saw this super weird kind of like matrix of white dots that would take over like almost the whole half of the sky in like kind of like a grid and then just move in unison. I still don't know what that was, um, but it was it was interesting and we were very paranoid and we thought that um, because of these stories that the Colorado guides had right, told right, us. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like when we first came came down into the valley, we saw these car lights that looked like they were just standing still and we thought oh maybe that's a weird guard that's going to come get us or like some kind of tripwire activated light that's meant to scare us but it's just that it's like a it's a long straight road and you can see cars coming for a very long time so all this stuff that yeah all this stuff that was um that had seemed scary actually was not um and it was interesting we did camp uh at a spot that's maybe like two miles from the gate and when we did that the guards did come visit like once an hour for most of the night, but they didn't talk to us or mess with us or anything. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But the the his his stories sound more like what you hear when somebody accidentally or on purpose crosses the boundary, because then they probably will pull you out of your car and put you like right, down right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it made me wonder if that's what had happened to him. So I don't know. Yeah, and I think you mentioned like it happened like in the eighties or something, or maybe the early nineties or something like that. And it was like maybe, I think they've probably beefed up the warning system in a sense. You know, they probably have pushed mm-hmm. the gates out further and shit than they than they do now. That that that's a good segue, I guess, to the Storm Area Fifty One thing. Um, now that's not mentioned in the book. I, was there a reason why you didn't include that? Um, and what did you think of the whole thing? Yeah, I thought about in- including it because, like you said earlier, I did have other stuff from September and October that just happened, and I, I did go down there for it um, for four days. And oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I, um, so I, I wrote an article about it for Wired while I was 
down there. Um, and when I thought about what I would add about Storm Area 51, which was to me, I mean, I, you've probably talked about it on the show already, but it was just such a, a spectacle, but a small spectacle, not very many people, mostly like YouTube kids who were just live streaming yeah, yeah. what they were doing and taking a bunch of selfies. It just seemed so not not that significant when I was there that I was like, I don't know what this would add beyond what I already said in this article I, I already wrote. And my, yeah. I don't know, I felt like, yeah, I felt like the first experience I had at Area 51 where like I did see weird things in the sky and I did meet the guards and like I went to the little alley in and uh, met the owners. And I, I just felt like it was a more authentic experience of what air, going to Area 51 is actually like. And Storm Area 51 right, right. was so unlike that that I was like, I don't know what it would add. But, yeah. But, well, the only thing I would add to the story, I guess, in a sense, is like to me it it like – it shined a dirty mirror back onto the UFO world in a sense where it was like for the last two years, everybody's kind of been riding high on this uh, ATIP and TTSA stuff and everything. And then this meme like exploded, right? And mm-hmm. everybody, like everybody under the sun took on this meme. And the, sort of prevailing narrative to the whole thing was like, oh, all the UFO buffs are going to go to Area 51. They're going to think that, oh, they're going to they're gonna storm Area 51, those, those wacky UFO people. And to me it was like, like I said, it sort of shined a dirty mirror back on the UFO world where it was like, look, I know you think people are taking you seriously, but they're fucking not. And this just goes. This is a this is a glimpse into what people really think about people who are into UFOs. They think you're all a bunch of goofy assholes. And that to me was sort of the takeaway. Watching how it all unfolded, where it was like, and and the, and the annoying part in a sense was the the UFO buffs, UFO world was like they were like the first to be like, that's a terrible idea. Don't do that. Don't do that. You know, we know we know better than anybody. You shouldn't do that. But the prevailing narrative still remained. That it was that it was the UFO fans were going to do this, all those goofy UFO people, and to me that was kind of like a disheartening, but also enlightening sort of uh, turn of events or coverage of the whole thing. Where to me it was like, oh shit, man, we're not, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I say we like like I I still consider myself sort of a tangential part of this whole world, and it's like, you know, they still think we're a bunch of fucking goofbags, man. You know, so we're not, you know, people aren't taking it all that seriously. Or they don't think we, they don't think we're serious people. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. That's, that is a good point. And the only thing I would add to it also related to the media, I think, is that, um, like, you know, based on the number of people who actually showed up, and I was there at 2 or 3 a.m. or whatever it was, storming yeah. the gates, and there were, like, 50 people there, um, that right, the right. media, people with with my job and you know your job we like have the have the power to make something out of nothing like that storm right, right. one got so much coverage for what it actually was which was a bunch of people being goofballs really and the yeah, same exactly. thing actually was yeah the same thing a lot with the sunspot observatory thing which which I and I talk about this in the book like no one was actually saying 
that it was evacuated because of aliens until newspaper articles started saying people think that it's because of aliens that no one's here. And I don't right, know. It's right. just a, so, yeah, it's just like power the media has to, to make a story out of something that is not a story. And then it becomes a story. And then people go to Area 51 or think aliens raided Sunspot or I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah, what really amazed me, too, is, like, sometimes you wonder, you know, I guess, you know, it's like, don't, I guess the old expression, you know, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. But it was like, to me, and I emphasize this, like, in my coverage of the thing, where it was like, all the coverage in the mainstream media was like, two million UFO buffs say they're going to go to Area 51. It's like, no, dude, dude, like, (laughs) do you not understand how fucking Facebook works? Like, I clicked on the thing. I said I was going to go. It's like I had no fucking intention of going to Area 51, but it was just like, oh, I'm going to join in on the joke. You know, and that was the funny part where they they spun it in a way where it was like every person who clicked on that thing was really going to fucking go. Like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Like, don't don't you know how Facebook, <laughs> these memes and shit work? No. It was very uh, <laughs> interesting. Don't. Yeah, yeah. No, they don't. That was <laughs> that was the uh, that that was the that was the remarkable part. Yeah, where you see it, and it's like, I, as I joked with uh, you know uh, when I was on coast to coast about it, it was like you know it's like when your nephew sends you an invite to like his his piano recital, you click yeah I'll go, but you don't you know you're not like more. You're, I guess maybe you're morally obligated, <laughs> but you're not. You know, it's not a binding it's not a binding exception to the to the event. You just click it. You know, because that's what—that's how the internet works. You know, it's very—it's uh, very wild. So, yeah. let me see now. Have you? What? I guess what's been the reaction to? A, uh, let me think of how I want. To, all right. How, how about this? Are you? There's a concern, and actually, I've kind of been been feeling this in the last week. It. Uh, with my foray into the world of the flat earth where it's like, there's a concern that if you, or at least on my part, that like if you get mixed up in this shit that you can't get out in a sense, you know? So are you, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're not really necessarily concerned about it, but you're cognizant of sort of that thing where it's like, you don't want to become the UFO lady, right? No, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't want to become the UFO lady. That was, that was partly why I set kind of a tight deadline for, working on the book was like I want to be really in this world for a short amount of time and then I want to back out of it and kind of watch it from afar (laughs) but I I mean it it does have like a pretty magnetic pull like I'm someone who had never thought about it before December 17th uh, or whatever December 17th 2017 Um, and then like I just I just couldn't stop looking into it and so like I fully understand that but um, no, I don't, I don't want to fully, fully inhabit the world. And this whole year I've been writing about other stuff while I was working on the book and, and things like that too. But I think that I will, I think that I will keep following the story. And I mean, I met a lot of great people who I like a lot working on this book and I think I will follow their work. And now it's a topic that I'm interested in, but I feel like by totally jumping headfirst into the pool, now, now I can kind of yeah get out and and watch the games that other people are playing without without participating myself maybe. Yeah, no, I know yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, I, somebody was I was talking to somebody this week and they were like, you should write a book about this flat Earth stuff. And I was like, if I ever wrote a book about the flat Earth stuff, it would 
The only thing I can be sure of is that it would absolutely guarantee you that I would write a second book very quickly after that one about something completely <laughs> fucking different. <laughs> just so, yeah, actually, just so, right now, I spent this afternoon researching, like, okay, I need a new big project, something new to focus on that's completely different from this. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are your – like, what – did, like, has there been any reaction from like your colleagues, sort of in the mainstream science press, that you're even mixed up in all this? Yeah, I I kind of thought there would be, in a bad way, um, that they would think, you know, what are what are you doing with your life right now? But people have been also very interested in it because they, you know, some of them are the ones who have written these other articles that we were talking about earlier or they at least read them and they it kind of piqued the subject kind of piqued their interest in the same way maybe starting um with that new york times article and they kind of want to know what's going on and especially in the science press i think you know all of us get a lot of weird emails with people's ideas about how the universe works or what's going on or what the government is hiding from us and even you know, even though we don't respond to somebody's theory about how how they know Einstein is wrong and hears all their theories, like I think we're all interested in where more fringe aspects of science come from and in understanding the different communities that are part of that. So when I tell people like I'm I'm in UFO world, I'm talking to the UFO people, like I think they're genuinely interested in that, and I think they would also be thrilled if aliens were driving spaceships to earth so i mean they're they're human beings too i think they like it so they've all got their copies just like you but they probably didn't read it as quickly so i guess we'll all find out what they think at some point in the future there you go yeah yeah well i i uh i read yeah well it was interesting because it was a nice sort of uh I think like the first chapter of your book or the second chapter, you go to the uh, International UFO Conference, and I was like reading that on my way to the, the International Flat Earth Conference. So it was kind of like, okay, I can kind of see a, a similar journey here uh, of of discovery. Now, I guess what did you aside? Uh, I, I talk a little bit about I guess that experience because I I like I said I just went through a kind of a similar experience. So like, what was it like, sort of mingling with the you know the rank and file, the fans, if you will, not necessarily the, the, uh, you know, because you you have a great observation, sort of like, um, you know, and really resonate with me, like the merch tables. You kind of like, I think you mentioned like some young guy was like standing at a merch table. It, it, it there's sort of like a whole atmosphere to these events. So I guess talk about like what it was like being at the, at that event and sort of like, uh, you know, co-mingling with, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, like the true believers or, the, or like I said, the rank and file UFO, the UFO fans, not, not necessarily mm-hmm. the UFO researchers. Yeah. Yeah. So this conference was in February, 2018 and, uh, I was really just getting into the topic and I didn't have that much background myself and I didn't really know, what to expect so I just walked into this hotel outside of Phoenix and um, was bombarded by all the merch tables you know selling uh, you know Bigfoot and UFO patches for your backpack or offering you crystals or offering to help you communicate with the aliens 
yourself and I was just like, I don't know what's going on here. Um so I just kind of canceled that but what was most but what was most interesting to me was to go to the talks which were kind of of varying levels of, of credibility. Like there was one talk that I that I really enjoyed, which was by um a woman named Cheryl Costa who's been doing a bunch of statistical work on, on UFO sightings. But then there's also, you know, stuff about our secret base on Mars or about um, presidents being briefed on alien UFO. presence on Earth. And yeah, yeah. And what was amazing to me was just to watch people's, the true believer reaction, which is, it, so I grew up very religious. My family was Mormon. And it was like watching somebody take in religious doctrine, where if somebody with authority tells you, like, this is what, this is what God says, you're just like, Okay, yeah, that's the that's the truth. And so no matter what was being said from the front of the room, people were just like, Oh yeah, that's very that's very interesting. I believe that and um which is not at all how I interact with the world anymore. But then I um I did some more I did some more reading about comparing uh UFO true belief to religion and, and when you really draw that parallel it makes a a whole lot of sense, I think where it is just like someone tells you something and you believe it because it fits with, with the kind of pseudo-religious worldview that you have. So I could at least understand it coming from that that perspective. Was How was Flat yeah. I guess uh, you said you didn't want to talk about Flat Earth, but was it similar to that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was exactly like that. Uh, probably more so in a sense because this whole thing is like, the whole Flat Earth thing is like rooted in, in uh, religion. It's uh, it's very it's deeply religious. It comes, you know, they, they they're OG creationists. That's how I describe <laughs> these folks. They're like they they resent the creationists because the creationists conceded on the flat Earth part. They're like, oh, you you know, you 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 get you know you you again you you make concessions. The earth the earth is flat. The earth is flat. It says it right in the Bible. So how can you be a creationist <laughs> if you don't believe that? It was that. <laughs> you know, it was that remarkable. And I think I came out of it, like, with the idea that, like, these people don't believe that the earth is flat. They have faith that it is, mm-hmm. if that makes mm-hmm. any sense. And it was like that I never I never would have, like, sort of thought that if I hadn't talked to them. But it was like, it, it doesn't, yeah. like, make, you can bombard them with all the scientific facts you want. But they have faith that they're right, that it's flat. It's like, wow, this is this is really quite remarkable, you know. And yeah. I think, well, I guess maybe you can talk about this in a sense where it's like there's something happens. I don't know what happened to me. Maybe uh, I assume you seem like a very nice person, so I, I assume it kind of happened with you where it's like your idea of what these people are like changes when you actually meet these people. Like they're not – like all the sort of like caricatures and stereotypes kind of fade away when you're like talking to a little old lady who says that the earth is flat. You know, it's like that kind of thing where it's like, okay, these aren't basement dwelling, you know, not all of them, I guess, right? <laughs> uh, you know, like weirdos. They're they're your they're your dental hygienist. They're, um, you know, they're they're the guy that fixes your car or whatever. It's like these are everyday people and they just have unique beliefs. Yeah, no, I def I definitely found that, and I think also 
I don't know why I didn't expect this. I should have, but the 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 rank and file I found to be totally sincere, pretty pretty really nice for the most part. And right, right. I yeah, and and yeah, and like the guy you were mentioning who I met at the exhibit hall, like he was just like a young like twenty something guy who was helping start a UFO festival because people in his town had seen a lot of stuff and. I don't know. Yeah, the the only the only people who I harbor any ill thoughts about are the people we were talking about earlier, like the the charlatans or the hoaxers or the people who are making money off of these very sincere people who just have faith in this thing. And I kind of I I don't think I had this idea when I started reporting the book and before I started thinking about some kinds of UFO belief as as like religion and and based on faith where you know, coming from a science background, it would kind of bother me when people wouldn't like see evidence and take it the same way I would. But we don't think that necessarily when when you're talking about mainstream religion, but we do when it's something like UFOs. And kind of by the end of the book, right, I was right. like, look, if these people want to think this and it makes them happy, it's not hurting me. Like, why does it matter that they don't look at it the same way I do? And so that's kind of where I ended up, I think. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with with my my world of research too, where it's just like let them, mm-hmm. you know, quit. They're kind of like lovable underdogs or something, you know. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, uh-huh. they they're you know, in the case of your in case of the UFO people, it's like you know they may not be right. In the case of the flat Earth people, it's like they're almost definitely not right. You know, they're they're, right. they're not right. <laughs> I don't know. This is just trying to give them a little. Uh, <laughs> they're not right. Okay. No. They're, they're, yeah, they're not right. Um, so it's like, yeah, but they're not hurting anyone. So what difference does it make, really? You know, there are a lot worse and shitty beliefs out there that, <laughs> like, the people who are online that are angry that people believe in UFOs or Bigfoot or even the flat Earth. It's like, be, be angry at like white nationalists and shit, man. Like, right. be angry at, That's like, exactly at, at like homophobes yeah. and shit and all that. You know, be angry at, like, people who espouse hate. <laughs> you know, not right. people who espouse <laughs> a fantastically weird belief. It's like, oh, all right, mm-hmm. well, you know. If you, I, I believe Bigfoot's running around somewhere. Like, so I can't say, you know, but it's like, so if you believe in Bigfoot, go, go for it, man. You know, no one... <laughs> No one, you know, no one's getting punched in the face because <laughs> because because uh, because Bigfoot's running around. Right. It's really wild, right. um, you know. It is, yeah, and it's, it's a fun, strange what fun we field. deem okay. Yeah, it is a fun field. Yeah. yeah, and I think I mean like Bigfoot. What do people do? Like they spend more time outside. Probably they go cool places. If you're into UFOs, maybe you go on more camping trips. You like read more, read more history, and meet more people. Like none of it's bad. It's all good stuff, so okay. Right, right, and there's a whole like history of, uh, you know, I don't know how deeply you dug into like uh, contactees and shit, but like, you know, the whole that whole era of like people claiming they were contacted by space brothers and and stuff like that. A, a big thing of that was like, we gotta get rid of all the nuclear weapons, man. You know, they're telling me to get rid of the nuclear. Telling us we gotta get rid of the nuclear weapons. So, it's like. Well, that's that's not a bad that's not a bad stance, dude. Like, yeah, world peace is a great idea. I'm not, you know. Apparently, since an alien told you it, I have to, I have to shit shit all over you. You know, it doesn't make any sense. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, man. So where do you – we're heading at toward the end here, so I guess we'll wrap it up sort of with a question like of where do you see this going? Because like you said, this is still unfolding as it, as it goes. I mean, what do you make of, of kind of where we're at with this thing? Because I – even though I uh, am irritated that the UFO world – has turned into just a study of of, of the two the stars academy. Um, <laughs> that's what that's what it is. It is what it is. You can only yeah. you can only play with the with the hand you're dealt. Um, so you know where do you see this going over the next few years? Do you have any sort of like prediction or uh, or even hope or, or something? You know, like uh, what, what do you foresee unfolding with this story? Yeah, I would like to I would like to hope that in the next few years we will figure out what was actually going on with ATIP, figure out all of to the stars of connections with it and what their goals actually are. Um and so then we can either be like, okay, this is actually something very interesting that we should keep investigating or the whole field can move on to something else and be actually the study right. of UFOs instead of the study of to the stars. And I think that probably will happen in the next few years. I know Lots of people, including me, have Freedom of Information Act requests that are still pending, but that they estimate will, you know, be come to us in 2020 or 2021. And I imagine that will clarify a lot of it. And, you know, to be honest, to the stars has only released so much information. Like you were saying earlier, it's lately it's been mostly a lot of arguing over a little bit of paperwork. And so, I don't know, you can only hang on to that for so long so I feel like we'll either figure it out one way or another or people will get bored Move on. and go on to something yeah. else yeah 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 hopefully I was kind of blown away by the quote you found from like an old Rolling Stone article and I haven't even you know I really don't even have an opinion on this Tom DeLong aspect of the story but it was funny that you found a quote from a band made of his like from the 90s where he was like, he'll believe anything anyone tells him if someone says there's, uh, you know, so, some crazy UFO story, he'll he'll immediately believe it. And to me, it was like, that's the big criticism of the guy. Like, he went on the Joe Rogan show and, and said all kinds of crazy shit. And it was just funny that, like, it circled back, and it was like, some dude kind of predict, <laughs> kind of predicted this, <laughs> like, way back in the yeah. 90s when they were just a regular rock band. Yeah, that's funny. I should have, I tried a bunch of, to interview Tom, which didn't work out. But what I should have done maybe is tried to talk to his bandmates. Maybe it's not too late. I could do that before the final printing of the book and see what they have to say about where he's ended up. Yeah, that would be cool. Well, it's very interesting. Uh, Jack, our friend Jack Brewer has mentioned this, and uh, John Greenwald's mentioned this a lot, where it's just like, as I kind of said earlier, it's uh, for a group, aimed at disclosure there's like no transparency per se and and they you know they don't answer they don't respond to media i guess that they perceive as hostile that might be the best that might be what how it is you know what i'm saying where it's like like a lot a lot of people i know i've tried to get in touch with them and talk to them and and uh you know they don't ever get any answers and stuff so it's very strange yeah, no, I think that's true. They were talking to me a little bit at the very beginning of when I was writing the first articles that I was working on, and then they they stopped at some point when I started asking questions that they didn't like. So they didn't talk to me for the book at all. It was just radio silence. 
Yeah, it's very that's that's the odd uh, part of it, you know, because it's like I've had one person suggest that this is like some kind of uh, like they they're purposely trying to like cause a ruckus, if you will. Have you have you considered that at all? That like this is some kind of like social experiment or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely considered it. I don't think I've concluded it or that I have any evidence for it. Yeah, but I mean, skeptical of that theory turned myself, it into but... one. Yeah, they've. I mean, it's become a social experiment, whether they like it to or not. Maybe in a couple yeah, of years, right, some anthropologists right. will write some master theses on it, but. Um, I don't know. Right, yeah, exactly, it is yeah. interesting because yeah, they really like I like I was saying they haven't they're like they don't have very much. They've got a couple of videos, a couple of reports. Um, it's really not very much <sighs> to go on, and yet everybody's losing their losing their minds about minds it. over so, stuff. Yeah, like you yeah. said before, they could clear up a lot of stuff. Just basically, you know, I don't know this Lou Elizondo guy, but it's like if somebody was saying that I lied. And I could prove that I didn't. I would come out and be like, "Fuck you, dude! Here's the proof that this is what I did." You know what I'm saying? And the fact that that yeah, hasn't happened is is strange to me. You know, because my natural reaction is like, you'd want to, you know, rebuff your critics like that. So it's very weird. It is very weird because, yeah, theoretically, it should be easy for him to produce evidence that he works for the program. Very right. Easy. Right. And ran the program, right? Isn't that what they said at the beginning that you ran the right. program? Yeah, now yeah. it's kind of been yeah. walked back. I noticed that in the yeah. more recent New York Times articles, they don't call him the guy who ran the program. So it's like, okay, wait a minute, what? Very mysterious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like, wait a minute. You said like two years ago that he ran this thing. Now you're saying he was like a, you know, you throw all these uh, job titles ahead of his name that don't. <laughs> You know, he was. I, mean, I don't have it, the article in front of me. You know what I'm saying? In the article, it was like, I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like a DOD. Da, 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 da. It's like I thought you said he ran the thing. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute, what's going on here? <laughs> All right, yeah. Sarah. Well, I've taken up enough of your time. I really do appreciate it. Uh, hopefully, you enjoyed the conversation. I've enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, it's nice to talk to a fellow traveler who's on the. Uh, you know that weird precipice of like skeptical. I wouldn't. I, I would never dare call you a ufologist. I have too much respect for you. But uh, a, a skeptical uh, UFO observer. That's what I like to call myself uh, in this field. I observe this field. I'm not a part of it. Um, you know, I'm trying to observe it as best I can. Uh, and you're you're kind of in the same boat as I am. We're sort of watching this with sort of like an eye askance and being like, what. What, what's going on here, man? So, uh, yeah. you know, I, I respect that and appreciate it. And uh, the book is They Are Already Here, UFO Culture and Why We See Saucers. It's going to be released on March 3rd, 2020. And you can pre-order it now on Amazon, folks. Get it now. Um, you know, you're going to buy it anyway, so just get it now. Um, that way, you know, the publishers are like, whoa, holy shit, there's a lot of interest going on with this book. And uh, where can folks, you know, where can I, are you gonna, I, I, I assume you'll be sort of doing UFO-related stuff, especially heading towards, the, you know, the, uh, the publication of the book and stuff. So where can folks sort of track your, your movements? It's a perfect sort of uh, description for UFO <laughs> sure, world. Yeah, I usually uh, tweet articles that um, 
I have coming out and I think that, that I'm getting arrested again. I'm not sure if you can hear that in the background. Um, but my Twitter handle is SkullSarah, S-C-O-L-E-S, Sarah, and I usually um, talk about what I'm working on. And then my website is uh, also my name, SarahSkulls.com, and I have a portfolio of work there. So any articles I write will show up somewhere there. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Sorry my voice is so short, uh, but I think it all went well. And uh, I really did appreciate the conversation and enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, so good luck with the book. I'll be looking forward to seeing uh, the reaction to it when it comes out next year. Yeah, me too. No, thank you for having me. It's been it's been really fun, and I will also never call you a ufologist, so we'll be even. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Have a great night. Yeah, you too. All right, folks, there you go. That was Sarah Scholes, author of, I'm really sorry, I'm like losing, definitely losing my voice now after uh, two hours of chatting, author of the book, They Are Already Here, UFO Culture and Why We See Saucers. As I said, I'm holding it in my hand right now. I'm a, a very lucky person. Maybe I should take a picture. It's the coolest book I've ever received because I'm such a, I really am probably like a neophyte uh, because on the front of the cover, they like stamped it like a, like it's a script for uh, the new X-Men movie or something. I don't know. I'm showing my age. It says advanced reading copy, not for sale, publication date 3-3-2020. I'm not used to that. Usually I get the books when they come out. So it's like, holy shit, this is like, this is, <laughs> this is like a top secret book. This is awesome. Uh, and definitely you want to check it out. It's They Are Already Here, UFO Culture, and Why We See Saucers. You can pre-order it from Amazon. Uh, I shouldn't really talk much more, but I will. Uh, Ruck's Giving is next week, our annual conversation with Bruce Rucks. So if you want to be a part of that, send your questions to info at banalofamerica.com or uh, to me on social media, Benal on Twitter. Uh, I think it's Tim Benal. Just search me out on Facebook or Benal of America on Facebook. Any of those will uh, get your questions into my hands for Bruce Rucks. And let me see. I've already talked enough about the Flat Earth people. I, I have a feeling Bruce is going to want to talk about them too. And uh, uh, so I won't say too much more, but I had an absolutely fantastic time uh, in Dallas this past weekend, and uh, the Flat Earth folks are, you know, they're not any different really that much from you and me, folks. It was That was kind of the eye-opening revelation of the weekend. It was like, wow, these, these are actually kind of sweet uh, people who just believe something really wacky, and, uh, and good people, so I'll have a hard time making fun of them in the future. Which just sucks, because I like making fun of people, right? <laughs> anyway, on that note, we'll wrap it up for this week. Thanks again to everyone listening. This is Tim and all signing off. I'll talk to you at Rucksgiving 2019. Yeah.